Amen. Praise the Lord. I bring you greetings from Oakland Heights Baptist Church and the other churches that came out together for our discipleship conference there in the Atlanta area this last week. And I think it was probably one of the best conferences that I've attended yet that we have had as a group of Living Faith Fellowship churches. It was just, it was a great conference. Uh, Praise the Lord for the way that went. Everything went off great. You know, as we approach Easter, I've asked you to be praying for three things. Pray for three things. Number one, I want power to preach, so pray for power in the preaching. Secondly, ask for a movement of the Holy Spirit in your own life, that in your own life the Holy Spirit would move and would be moving through you this week, even to the outreach of others and getting them here. Then we've talked about having a working Easter by way of Uh, For one thing, our our harvest teams, I think almost all of our harvest teams have probably met by now with maybe uh, some few exceptions. And I don't have I don't have it this week, but I hope every Sunday to be able to get up here and say, you know what, we had this last week we had X number of people who met, and they're praying for X number of people uh, in terms of their evangelistic outreach to them. Because really, our harvest teams are simply a small group mobilization force, a prayer mobilization force for you so that as you get on a team, as you get involved, you have a number of other people who are all praying with you about just what normally goes on in your life, the normal contacts that you have and the outreach that God brings. And so a prayer mobilization force, but also a preparation force to assist you in retelling your story of how you came to Christ and giving your testimony in that sense uh, and mixing that with the terms of the gospel so that someone gets saved. So we talked about a working Easter from that standpoint. And then we were talking about uh, Restoration House, which is which is a way uh, to get um, both adults and minors out of sex trafficking. So it is a place for that where they stay after coming out of sex trafficking, and they uh, are on a project to about triple the number of beds that they have, the bed space that they offer. So they have construction money for that. And I thought, why don't we just own, let's say, two rooms at you know three thousand dollars each, and and you know you know if God use us to give them six thousand dollars toward you know a couple of rooms and stuff like that. Well, you guys have so. You have so over, overblown that and gone so over that. Now, I'm not going to say exactly how much the amount is because I want to be surprised. And I want you to be surprised. And I want uh, Rodney Hammond to be surprised whenever we present him the check next Sunday on Easter Sunday. So I want everybody to be surprised. And you don't have to stop giving because anything that goes into the focus fund still will go to Restoration House. And because I understand that they are in a project where they need $50,000 to get sewer work done before they can even start the construction. $50,000 for work on the sewer. And I'm feeling them. I'm feeling them. You know, we had, uh, you know, we're, ha- we're having to do, reconstruct some things there in the lobby, as you see, and uh, of, of a sewer nature. And, we, you know, we got a bit on that from somebody who knows us, and so it's probably, should have probably been three to five times more than what they told us it would be to fix it. And so this last week, we thought everything was going good, and Tom was watching the cameras, because we have security cameras various places around the building, so he's watching one of the cameras in the lobby, and he thought, wow, they're digging it up already. Surely it'll be all done by Sunday. Looks like it's going good. And then he saw somebody emerge from the hole in the lobby. 
So you know when it's deep enough that somebody has to go all the way down. And I'm just thinking, you know, God can deliver me from a miry pit, a deep miry pit. We might as well just put the verse out, uh, you know, out on the dividers out there um, uh, blocking off that construction area. So those, those bathrooms not working. These are working. Ones for the children are working. So we, we have partial functionality. We'll get the rest of it together. I don't think it'll cost $50,000. Um, but praise the Lord, just keep tithing. Uh, I'm not going to take up an offering. Just keep tithing. And uh, before summer hits, before hot weather hits, we're going to replace completely HVAC in this room and get COVID killer set up. And that'll be something north of 100000 So it'll be over 100000 to do that. But just keep tithing uh, because then, you know, God allows us to do that. And when we want you to do special money, then, then you know, you can give it for things like Restoration House or other things we might have going on. Now, if, if you have money you want to drop in the building fund, you know, if you have a million dollars, okay, we'll go ahead and expand the lobby. So feel free. If you have two million, we'll go ahead and, you know, put some rooms on the, in the front yard for more uh, education space for the kids. So I'm not saying you can't do that. I, I'm just saying, praise the Lord. I, I thank God for your faithfulness because as you give when God's blessed you, then God's blessed us with enough to do what needs to get done. You know, in 1952, a man walked up to Harry Truman after an election speech, and he said, you are the sorriest, most worthless, do-nothing president ever. I would not vote for you if you were the only person on the ticket. And Truman turned to his assistant and said, mark him down as undecided. You know, when it comes to your king, this Palm, Palm Sunday, are you undecided? Because the only enduring joy is rooted in waving your palm branches and acknowledging King Jesus. And so I seek at this Easter season to give you some spiritual life skills, spiritual life skills, so that you can know God on the next level. Because the three P's of the pandemic, politics, and protests, plus... Other people, problems, pain, predicaments, and you, if you are not careful, all plunge you into apathy, ignorance, and general spiritual distrust. You feel boxed in on every side. So I know you understand what it is to be boxed in by joblessness, boxed in a dysfunctional family, boxed in an abusing relationship, boxed in by mechanical failure or transportation, boxed in by creditors you owe, not because of anything you've done really, but by circumstances out of your control. Am I talking to anybody yet? See, all of us know something about being in a situation where there appears to be no way out of what we find ourselves in. And Satan will use all these things to conspire against us to make sure we become distrustful of our God. Because here's my thesis for, for this Sunday. The thesis is this. Unless we get a fill up with the right thing, we will be immobilized by inner weakness as well as outer obstacles. Because we can be incarcerated by our own internal issues, locked in to a life of bitterness, locked in by lack of forgiveness, locked in by work and worry, locked in by fear and anxiety. 
I mean, you can be sitting in here today and still remain locked up with guilt, locked up with insecurity, locked up with lack of faith. And our problem is we remain locked in our own limitations, even though Jesus has opened the door. How many of us are where we are, which is not where we want to be, not because we lack opportunity, but because we lack faith, maturity, endurance, and patience? Hello, somebody. We stand in need today of a fill-up of the things Palm Sunday promises to the followers of King Jesus. So let me take you to our text. Let's start in Philippians 1. Meet me in Philippians 1, where we see the gospel globetrotter and trailblazing theologian from Tarsus, the articulate Apostle Paul, and yet if anyone was boxed in, it was him. I mean, do you see the box closing? Watch it. Look at verse 23. Verse 23. For I am in a strait betwixt two. Between two. That is not a strait, S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. Like, like running in a line. That is a strait, S-T-R-A-I-T. Like, like a straight jacket. Like a, like, like a canal that is narrower than you are long. So if you get sideways, baby Baba, you stuck. I mean, you stuck good. Paul says, I am in a narrow spot, and the walls are narrowing because Paul is placed in prison for something he did not do. I mean, have you ever been there where it appears like there's a no-exit sign above the only door? How can I get out of what circumstances have put me in? How do I recognize God's providence when I need God's power to come through with his promises? So Paul is now up against the Roman state, the most powerful superpower in the world. I mean, imagine how Paul must feel as his cell door closes. And yet, when you look at our text, notice what Paul writes to his brothers and sisters in Philippi. And I don't know if he wrote it on Palm Sunday, but it is a Palm Sunday promise from the king. See, in order to counter our pandemic, protests, and politics with providence, promise, and power. And you know, it's so ironic, because Paul is writing to a people where Paul had been before. And when he had been there before, God delivered Paul from jail. I mean, God delivered Paul from jail in Philippi because he and Silas got thrown in solitary confinement, feet in the stocks, and at midnight, they started singing praises. They started praising God at midnight, just like we do Sunday mornings. And, you know, that was, that was gospel music. And so, and so God started tapping his toe up in glory. And, and that set off the Richter scale in Philippi. And now the, now the cell door is open. And, and, and everybody's able, everybody's free. And so he's riding them from jail this time. And this time there's no deliverance. See, it dawns on me, when you really know Jesus for yourself, you don't need a choir, you don't need a praise team to get your worship on. I mean, this whole book of Philippians is about joy, and, and, and here he is writing about joy over and over again, and he doesn't have no choir to help him sing. He doesn't have a praise team to lead him in worship. You know what? All you need to know is there's power in the blood, because praise is what you do when you know King Jesus in your pain. 
So this is our first point for study. Once you know Jesus as king, praise will change your disposition, even if God does not change your condition. See, we need to be waving our palm branches this Sunday because Jesus is king. And praising him will give you the disposition to face your condition. And you know what I've discovered? It doesn't matter how you praise. You know, we come here on Sunday and, you know, some people, some people, you know, most people stand and some people clap and, I, and, and some people sway and some people might sing out loud and some people might hum and some people might hum in their head or in their heart. And, you know, it doesn't matter how you praise, it is that you praise. It is that at that moment you have that connection with God because you are giving him out of your mouth the praise and worship he deserves and that's imperative, and it is imperative for us to do it together as we congregate, as we assemble on Sunday morning. I mean, this is what we got to have. Because then, once you do that, your situation will not restrict your celebration. Savvy? See, I don't see why you all are making me work so hard today. Uh, maybe it's because you need me to illustrate this irrefutable idea. There was a fourth grader who asked the teaching assistant, how old she was. And the teacher broke in and said, look, you, you should never ask an adult woman her age. And the teacher's aide said, well, that's okay. I, I'm 50. And the boy said, wow, you don't look that old. And the teacher was just about to breathe a sigh of relief whenever another child chimed in. Parts of, parts of her do. And all I'm trying to say is that spiritually speaking, parts of you are pretty good, but parts of, parts of you don't look so good. That's all I'm trying to say. So if your disposition is inhabited, then your situation will not be inhibited. Okay, let me show you what I'm talking about. Psalm 22, verse 3 on your handout. This is the promise of the sweet psalmist David as he proclaims, But thou art holy... O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. So when our praise goes up, he comes down. He inhabits our praise. Nothing can inhibit our progress. So God says, when my peeps praise me in patience, I got to honor that with my presence. I mean, I always honor anyone who looks like my son Jesus. God's just got to do that. And I don't see why you're not getting that connection because it's not even something you've got to apply. It is just the way it is. Your Christ-likeness empowers Holy Ghost presence. You know, I think maybe I need to go into a series about the Holy Spirit after we get done with, you know, what we're doing right now and what we'll do next Sunday. But what we're doing in terms of our series on the truth for these end times, maybe go on to something about the Holy Spirit because we just don't, we don't get it today. We don't understand it. It's not spooky stuff. Your Christ-likeness is what empowers Holy Ghost presence in your life. And I know you say, but hold on one second, Alan. Paul is delivered from jail in Philippi, but now he's writing from jail to the Philippians, and deliverance has not come. So what's your attitude going to be now, Paul? What are you going to say now? What do you do when you are put in something you don't want to be in, and you prayed and you prayed, and the lid is being shut, and the walls are closing in, and there's a no-exit sign above the only door? 
And I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus. I don't care how big your Bible is. I don't care how heavy the cross around your neck. Air now and then, God will say, look, I ain't getting you out this time. And I'm not going to answer prayer the way you want me to answer it. I'm going to let you stay right where you are, but if you will hold on to my promise, if you will praise me in your pain, then I will bless you with resurrection power. See, I thought this second service could understand what, what, it, what it takes to know God at the next level. Paul writes and says, look, re- resurrection juice means this. Even though my Roman haters are trying to box me in, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live outside their box. So since this is Palm Sunday, let me give you some resurrection juice for out-of-the-box living. Let me see if I can unpack this unorthodox Palm Sunday passage. We'll clothe ourselves with this truth, get our healing. Head uh, Head out of here ready to live outside the box. First off, I need you to know, and this is number one, you must get to know Jesus personally through your pain. Look at chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3. Our text today in verse 10. That I may know him. Now stop right there. You know, I knew I was teaching here today, and you all are sophisticated, cultivated, educated crowd. I mean, most of you are suave and debonair with wavy hair. And so I knew I couldn't be no lazy preacher, and I would have to go home and do my homework. So I performed an etymological investigation of that word no. And do you know, I discovered, it's also translated feel, that I may feel him. Okay, you feeling me? The James gang also translated it, that I may be aware of him, that I may understand him, that I may better recognize him. So let me press pause here parenthetically to give you a counseling tip. This is our second point for study. Relationships, either flower or sour, depending on what the people in the relationship do when it goes through problems. So if you look back over your life, the relationships that are most significant, you've grown closer as you've gone through stuff. So Paul says, in essence, Jesus, I'm in jail, but my understanding of your providence makes me patient Because I know that as long as I cling to your promises, then your presence is in my pain to bring my relationship to the next level. I understand your providence. What is the providence of God? The providence of God means that he has stored up in advance what you need exactly when you get to that point. Exactly when you get to that moment. Now, God's providence has eyes, so he's got stuff stored up all sorts of places, depending on what choice your free will makes. But, but Paul knew, you know, I'm in jail now in Rome writing to the Philippians, and I understand God's providence. He has something pre-positioned for me here that I, that I can get to the Philippians when I write to him. So now, what do I mean by the next level? Going to the next level. Well, you're asking good questions this morning. Here is an exegetical explanation. Because you can know a fact from information, and you can know an intent from observation, and you can discover a concept through investigation, and you can understand an experience through consideration. But you only know a person through intimate interaction. 
So can I just take you through the levels? Because you can know people on different levels. And maybe this, maybe this will help you out because you can know them. You can know them first, letter A, by history. I know George Washington. No, I really do because, I, I mean, I've never met him, but I, I, I read and, and I watch History Channel. And so I know him as an historical figure. And because I have read about him, I have a relationship with him based upon what I read. Now, for some of you, that is the extent of your relationship with Jesus. Okay, my name is Alan. I am your friend. But I'm just telling you, you don't even read about him very much. You, you, you know facts from information. You understand he's, an, he's a historical figure, but that's all he is to you. And secondly, you can know people, and this is letter B, by hearsay. So I know Beyonce personally. I do. I mean, I've never met her, but I've heard about her. I've listened to her. And whenever I'm in the checkout line, you know, standing in the checkout line at the grocery store, I'll, you know, I'll pick up People magazine. And I learn about her. I mean, I base my relationship with her on what other people say about her or report on her. Now, you may be laughing, but some of you, that's the way you know Jesus. You know Jesus by hearsay. You know Jesus based upon what you heard your grandparents say. You know Jesus based on what you hear the preacher say. You know him only by hearsay. Now, I can also know him, and this is letter C, by holidays. You have some family members, and you, know, you recognize them when you see them, but you don't talk to them regular, just at holidays. And so, some of you, you have a holiday relationship with Jesus, and even if you don't, well, some of the people who will come here next Sunday will have a holiday relationship with Jesus. And they're in church only when they get matched, hatched, and holidays. Well, except when they also get buried, but matched, hatched, and holidays. And in the final analysis, I can also know him, this is letter D, as a help file. Because there are some people in your life, and you really don't know them, but you know how to get a hold of them whenever you need something that they have. And, and a lot of us have help file relationship with God, and it's kind of a user-friendly relationship, because the only time you call on him is when you need something. I mean, we're going to meet tonight. I mean, tonight, I don't know if we're... I don't know if we're packing eggs or just praying over eggs. Maybe the eggs are already packed and we're just going to pray over them. That's, that's okay. I want to pray for the kids who are going to be here next Sunday. I want to pray for a safe service. I want to pray they have a good time. I want to pray they hear about Jesus. I want to pray they get the gospel. So yeah, I want to, I want to pray over that. I want to do that to, I want to do that tonight. I, I don't want to just ask God for when I am in an emergency. Jesus said, you, you better watch unto prayer. You better watch and pray. And, you know, prayer in Ephesians 6 is kind of like that thing that just goes around all the rest of the armor. So, so here's our third point for study. When God puts you through something, he is pulling you through so he can get closer to you. So watch, because there's a deeper level on which you can know God. And, and I want to I make sure I show it to you this Sunday so you do not find yourself in those other four categories of the crowd who surrounded Jesus on Palm Sunday. 
Because God is after this fifth and highest level of knowledge, which is an intimate relationship. So, verse 10, that I may know him means God wants to get you to this level. Jesus wants you to know him this way. So much so that when you are conscious, you're thinking about him. And when you're unconscious, he's thinking about you. And that's what my ministerial mentor, the late Dr. C.B.T. Smith, used to say. When, when he'd get ready to close out his sermon and he wanted you to give a witness to, to, to what he was saying about Jesus, he'd just holler out, do you know him? He's a heart fixer, do you know him? He's a mind regulator, do you know him? Do you know him that way? He's a heavy burden bearer, do you know him? He's a rock in a weary land. Do you know him? But then Paul says, I'm not just going to uh, get to know him on a personal level while I go through my pain. I mean, that's good. That's a blessing for me. But Paul says, I'm going to get to know not just him, but also, and this is number two, I'm going to get to know Jesus powerfully through his provision. Not just personally knowing him but i'm going to know his power through his provision verse 10 and the power of his resurrection reverend manuel scott senior used to say you know there are two things that a real preacher will never do real preacher will never do two things number one he will never leave the prodigal in the far far country got to get him home i mean got to get the prodigal home number two he will never leave jesus in the tomb got to get him up and the reason that works is because when we, we are at our best, when we operate with a he got up mentality. I mean, if we understand that when we get saved, we are in him, then we operate best when we have a he got up attitude because we are in him. So I say we need a he got up hermeneutic. And the word hermeneutic is simply a seminary professor's word for how you interpret what you read in the Bible. And a he got up hermeneutic is interpreting everything in your life according to what happened to Jesus. Can you not interpret what you're going through according to what he went through? Can you not interpret your pain in terms of what he suffered? I mean, how do you keep your, your head up when everything in life is piling up. He got up. How do you find strength to go on when everything is against you? He got up. How do you keep from killing yourself when you have so much going against you, there is no reason to face tomorrow? He got up. See, when you've been locked up at work all week, you can identify with Jesus being in the tomb on Friday after Palm Sunday. But on Sunday, after that Friday, I need you to know he got up. So here it is. I want you to know him, verse 10, and the power of his resurrection. Now let me hit you with a definition, because I see that's not hitting you like, like it needs to hit you. The Greek word for power means a force that is felt dynamically. It is the actuality of power, the reality of power. It's not just authority to do something, it is the what is getting done. And the Greek word dunamis is where we get our word dynamite. So can I show you how powerful that power is? 
Because if we get the word dynamite from the New Testament word dunamis, then I need to know what kind of power we got access to. So, so I found a road and bridge uh, construction site, and I went out to the crew and I said, hey, I, you know, I need to have a conversation with some dynamite. And they said, you must be crazy. I said, uh, you know, I need to do it anyway. I said, Dynamite, you better talk to me because I got to tell my peeps how awesome you are. He said, Alan, I'd be glad to because after all, I'm a lot like you believers. I said, what can you possibly have in common with a Christian? He says, here's how bad I am. If you put me in a situation where there is stuff all around me and there is stuff covering over me and it seems like I'm not going to get out of what I'm stuck in, all you got to do is light my fire. And if you set me off, watch out, because I'm about to blow up. The dynamite was simply saying, you may not see me, you may not know where I am, but I promise you, once my fuse is lit, I got so much power, no devil in hell can keep me down. I'm just saying, you can light the fuse by prayer. You want God's power and God's presence on your, in your life? Okay, acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge his presence so that you have his power and do that by prayer. And the dynamite was simply saying, look, Alan, weakness and power cannot go together. And yet weakness offers the best condition for the deployment of this kind of power. And most explosives are exactly that way. Most dynamite is just like that. And you can put a set it out on the ground, you can set it off, okay, that looks all right. But when you put it under pressure, and then it's got to blow up out of that, that is a much more powerful explosion. It is a power that shows up best in paradox. So after I know him, after I hook up to his power, then there's something else I want to know in verse 10, and the fellowship of his sufferings. That's something else I got to know. And, and I know you're thinking right now, man, I came to the wrong place today. I passed up a lot of good churches to get to this one today. And, and, I, you know, and I'm sorry about that. But i got to give you the whole gospel this Easter season. I can't just give you he got up next Sunday. Because you can't get up if you ain't never been down. And did you know that's why some people that you know are not saved today. Watch, watch how Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26 on your handout. For ye... See your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Why? Because they ain't never been down. They can't get up because they won't recognize themselves as down. So why, Paul, why do we need that? Well, so in the final analysis, and this is number three, so that we can get to know Jesus prospectively through his pathway. There is a way he is planning for you to follow. And it is not the path lined with palm fronds in the road. So watch. Paul says in verse 10, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. And I want to be made conformable unto his death. And that's part of the Christian faith we don't know much about because we don't hear much about it because we don't preach much about it because we don't like it. That is not a church growth passage if, you know, if you're interested in nickels and noses and things like that. But this is the pathway of the king. And you will never know him without climbing the hill to the cross. So you only get to it if you go through it 
Because it has this one reliable result. Watch verse 11. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Huh. You know, I looked at that and I thought, you know, a lot of, a lot of my people are not going to understand that because they're going to think that Paul is saying that he's trying to attain to a certain type of resurrection then, a resurrection then, and that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about the resurrection you get after you die in this life or after the rapture of the church and, and you get a resurrection. He's talking about attaining to the resurrection you need right now, your life right now. Are you alive or are you dead? Are you living by his power? or are you living by your own? You need to attain to the resurrection of his death because being made conformable to his death is a means and it is a means which means, and this is our fourth point for study, that the only way to get a resurrection like Christ is by carrying a cross like Christ. You got to carry a cross like Christ and that ain't no thing but a chicken wing. Because you're going through it with him. You are yoked with him. His burden is easy. It's light. Because you are yoked together going through it with him. And the bottom line, but the bottom line is, you're still going to have to suffer. The bottom line is, you got to hurt sometimes. But now here's the gospel good news. So 1 Peter 2 verses 19 to 21. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for one glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your fault, you take that patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even here unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. He has a pathway marked out for you. Providence means you understand there is provision planted along that pathway so you have exactly what you need at the time and the spot that you need it, but you've got to go down that path. And I know it's so easy to say, look, Paul, I don't know if I believe you because you were not one of the original apostles. You didn't walk with Jesus in his ministry in this life. So Peter chimes in and says, 1 Peter 4.13, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding, uh, with exceeding joy. 1 Peter 5.10, but the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after thee have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. How come you have no stability? Because you're not willing to suffer? You know, anytime you suffer, struggle, or sacrifice, and you did not do something to deserve that suffering, then God is up to good. And when God gets through with you in that situation, watch out. Somebody else is going to be better off because you went through it and then did not keep what you learned to yourself. You did not keep what blessing you got to yourself. See, that, see that's the Palm Sunday good news about rejoicing in King Jesus. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. I mean, I see some of you who grew up in single-parent homes, and you made it. 
But don't think that just because you made it, that's it. Now you've got to turn around and disciple somebody. Now you've got to turn around and get involved in ministry. Because here's the dealio, and I bid you good day. This is our final point for study. People need the Lord, and the Lord's people need your testimony about how to be a godly man or woman in ungodly times. And, and just because you made a wrong choice, that doesn't mean you stay wrong, because... My God allows U-turns. And God uses what we go through to glorify Him as long as we are willing to turn around and then become a blessing to somebody else. So I leave you with this and let you go. Because, you know, whenever there's something good, it makes you want to participate in it. If, if there's good singing going on, the praise team's doing good singing, I want to sing. And if you see a good sports, uh, you know, something going on on sports and it's good and, and you're able to play in that, well, then you kind of go, you know, you see a good football game, you want to go out and throw the ball around. And, and you know, you, you, the Chiefs go to the Super Bowl and uh, they're going to that game. Well, then it makes me want to watch other Super Bowls and see other games. And so uh, ESPN Classic showed uh, Super Bowl Nine between the Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers. That was of interest to me because the Steelers quarterback, Terry Bradshaw, is now a commentator. And I thought, well, let me look this up and let me look at this. And the Cowboys, uh, late in the game, they're winning. And the boys aren't supposed to be this good, uh, but they're ahead. It's the fourth quarter. Terry Bradshaw, the Steelers, he goes back to pass. And when he goes back to pass, he's going to throw a long bomb. And he throws that long bomb. It lands in the arms of Lynn Swan. It's a touchdown, but all of a sudden there is a hush in the entire stadium. I mean, tens of thousands, 80, 90, 100,000 people. You can hear a pin drop. And the announcer begins to show us the replay. And on the replay, you see Terry Bradshaw... Steelers quarterback, he has to hang in there until Lynn Swan gets open. But in order for him to wait and hold on to the ball until the receiver gets open, he's got to stand in the pocket. He's protected by his blockers. So he's standing in the pocket. But the Cowboys defensive rushers, Larry Cole and Charlie Waters, they're coming at him. And Bradshaw knows he's about to get sacked. He's about to get sacked hard. But Bradshaw also knows that if he hangs in there long enough, he's going to complete a pass downfield for a touchdown. They were going to win the Super Bowl. So he releases the ball. The moment he releases the ball, Colin Waters, they sandwich him. Bradshaw goes down and he lays there for a long time. And it is just silence. So even after Lynn Swan scores a game-winning touchdown, the crowd is hushed. They wait to see if Bradshaw is going to move. He's down on the stadium grass. He ain't moving. He ain't moving. But you know what happened? After a few minutes, Bradshaw stood up, and the stadium went crazy. And the meaning of the word resurrection is to stand up. But now here's what the announcer said, and I give it to you, and we're out. He said, because Bradshaw took the hit, the Steelers got the victory. Because Bradshaw hung in there, Pittsburgh came out on top. Now, we've seen Patrick Mahomes do that so many times. I mean, not the last Super Bowl, but so many times. Now, you may not know where I'm going, but one dark day. I mean, the only day that saw night twice, Jesus hung in there. Jesus took the hit. Jesus 
bled and died. And because he took the hit, we can testify. But he was wounded for our transgressions. But he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes, we are healed. Because the Sunday after Good Friday, he stood up. And because he took the hit, we got the victory. So now my thing is this. If he took the hit for your hell, then once you get saved, can't you take a hit for him down here? I mean, this unorthodox Palm Sunday passage says, even if you go down, you ain't going to stay down, but you will stand up. Rejoice! Rejoice now because you're going to stand up. And when you stand up, you're going to be stronger than before the head. Every head bowed, every eye closed, every Christian pray. Girl and her father were out camping in the forest, and apparently they hadn't checked things, or maybe just, uh, you know, they went out there. It was uh, one of those seasons when uh, it was a fire warning season, and somehow they get, got caught in just a flash fire, just, just surrounded them. And they ran this way and that. Finally, the father spotted a burned-out meadow that they were able to jump over some of the flames. They were able to get into it, so they run into the middle of this meadow, and they crouch down, and as the smoke and embers are going overhead, the little girl said, Daddy, are we going to die? He replied, No, honey, we're standing where the fire has already been. And I need you to know that when you enter Jesus Christ today by being born again, when you pray and ask Jesus to be your Lord, when you trust Jesus for eternal life, you enter the one place where God's wrath already burned because God's wrath against sin was vented in full fury on Jesus at Calvary. It will not pass that way again. At Calvary, Jesus was paying the penalty for the laws of God that you had broken and I had broken and keep on breaking. But when you enter Christ by faith today, God gives you credit for his payment, the payment Jesus made, and he considers you to be right with him. In other words, he says you are righteous. Don't you want that today? All you have to do is pray. There's nothing you have to clean up. There's nothing you have to change. Come just as you are. Come to God and just say, God, I want to be born again today. So today I ask Jesus to be my king. I will never be ashamed of you. Jesus, here I give you my life. And if you prayed like that today to be saved, or if you're already saved but you want to be baptized, April 11th, Sunday after Easter Sunday, or if you're saved and baptized but you want to join our church or you want to be discipled, or you have need for any other spiritual help or assistance, then as soon as I get done praying, come up here, up, come up here to the front and let us know. If you're watching this online, then call, text, or email us. I want to get you a copy of my book, Next Steps for New Believers. Let's go ahead and stand and have a word of prayer together. I want to see you tonight for a prayer service and, and a wanna that's going on for the kids and then either we'll pack the eggs or we'll be praying over the eggs. And either way, I think it'll be uh, somewhat in conjunction with them. And uh, that gives us an opportunity to pray in advance, to light that fuse, to ask God to do something. Do you believe he could do that? Do that? I believe he can. 
Because I'm not looking to you to do anything. I hope you're not looking to me to do anything. We are looking to God. Let's be like Jesus. So he's got to show up and show out for us. Father, I thank you today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, you were acknowledged by a crowd. You were adored by a crowd that laid their palm branches in the road and called you the son of David and said they wanted you to be their king. And all the while you were riding on that donkey, on that foal, all the while you were riding by, you knew that they were not wanting you to be the type of king that you came to become. I mean, they wanted a king who was going to do something different than what you were about to accomplish. And so, so you knew that even though on Palm Sunday they were cheering you, that later that week they would be crucifying you. And yet you went through and you created something on the other side that we can get into and have eternal life. And Father, I thank you. Lord, open our eyes, open our minds, open our mouths. Even this week, Lord, make open doors. Help us to get this gospel good news to others. Help us to get an invitation to others to come, you know, maybe on a Sunday that they would not otherwise come except it's a holiday, it's Easter. And then, Lord, we'll just trust you for what you're going to do both in our lives this week and in our midst next Sunday, for we ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. If you have need of any spiritual help or assistance, please come up here to the front right now. Love you. Have a great week.